Welcome. You're listening to the You're Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work amazing podcast. Episode 25, Stalking, Harassment and the Workplace. This week just gone in the UK was Stalking Awareness Week and I'd like to talk about stalking as a crime, as a pathological behaviour and the role of workplaces and occupations in stalking. For many people, their workplace is where the stalking starts or certainly where the stalking is continued. And we have had some tragic cases in the UK where stalkers have murdered their victims in their places of work. Stalking is a specific form of criminal offence and a recognised social problem. According to the Crime Survey for England and Wales, approximately 20% of females and 10% of males receive unwanted stalking behaviours over the course of their lifetime, and this figure continues to increase annually. The following legislation is used for dealing with stalking offences, and it applies in different parts of the UK. In England and Wales, it's the Protection from Harassment Act 1997, amended by the Protection of Freedom Act in 2012. In Scotland, it's Section 39 of the Criminal Justice and Licensing Scotland Act, 2010, and in Northern Ireland it's the Protection from Harassment Northern Ireland Order 1997. Stalking is characterised by any unwanted and unwarranted continued attention and contact from the perpetrator towards a victim, which results in their distress or fear. This can often be done when the perpetrator is obsessed or fixated with a victim. Perpetrators may not always be aware of the distress they cause and in some cases, because of their delusional beliefs or a lack of empathy and understanding of other people's perspectives, they believe they are having no impact or that they're even helping a victim or even making them feel important and desired. I know, bizarre, but true. Mostly, however, stalkers are acutely aware of the damage caused by them and the impact they make. Stalking can have a huge impact on a victim, especially if the stalking occurs in both domestic and workplace spheres. It can lead to feelings of fear and anxiety, and it can develop into physical health problems, depression, and even post-traumatic stress disorder in some cases. This upset can also have an impact on a victim's domestic life, and other family members can be affected too. Research generally shows that 90% of stalkers are male and about 80% of victims are female and that females are significantly most likely to be stalked by a current or former partner. Most victims are females who are harassed by men wishing to establish or re-establish a relationship with them, such as ex-husbands or partners who will not accept the ending of a relationship and who may also seek revenge for rejection. And this type of stalker constitutes the largest single known group. It's approximately, we think, something like 40% of known perpetrators. The link between workplaces and stalking is only just being understood. Many stalking relationships develop from innocuous or standard workplace interactions. Some stalkers can, of course, be colleagues of a victim or even customers and clients who've come into some form of contact with them at the workplace. A smaller number of stalkers choose victims in particular workplaces or professions because the victim's job gives the perpetrator easy access to them with little challenge, 
And these maybe include victims who work in frontline roles where they have interfaces with the public, so customer service, receptionists, telephonists, retail. Workplaces can often be flashpoints of stalking behaviour and almost half of stalkers present themselves at their victim's workplace, creating not only risks for the victims but for other colleagues who may interact with the stalker as well as other members of the public who may legitimately be at the workplace. Many stalking victims leave employment as a consequence of their stalker's activities, not just because of health-related problems brought about because of the distress and stress, but sometimes it's as a final way of trying to avoid being stalked altogether. And it's completely wrong that victims should have to give up their jobs just to try and find some peace. Initially, many victims do not report early-stage stalking incidents to managers, friends or even the police for fear that they may be judged as being somehow responsible and also because they often do not want to appear to cause a fuss for the perpetrator. However, as the cumulative impact of stalking progresses, behavioural and psychological changes within a victim may make their situation more noticeable such as poor timekeeping, irritability, nervousness, reduced social functioning and increased numbers of sickness, absence, spells and work. Victims may also suffer from poor concentration, poor performance and increased GP healthcare appointments. Recognising such behavioural difficulties in colleagues may assist managers, colleagues and workplaces in general in their duty to help a victim who may be suffering as soon as possible. The current understanding of stalkers suggests that not all workplace stalkers have the same psychopathology or motivational factors, and there's some evidence to suggest that there can be a classification or typology of stalkers, and it goes roughly like this. The first group are rejected stalkers. These arise from the breakdown of a relationship. They're usually a former sexual partner or victim, and this appears to be the biggest single stalker group. Next up, we have resentful stalkers. These arise from a perceived mistreatment or humiliation with the stalker's control and power over a victim itself seen as settling the score. This type of stalker are often very good at presenting themselves as actually being the victims of some maltreatment. Third group are intimacy-seeking stalkers. These arise from a lack of close relationships and intimacy. The victims become fantasy figures for the stalker and these desires and fantasies can often be the result of some severe mental health problems or psychoses such as erotomanic delusions. The fourth group of stalkers are those that we call incompetent suitors. These often arise from loneliness, but the stalker does not necessarily seek intimate relationships or meaningful relationships, but they're often after short-term sexual relationships or gratification or wanting to have some sexual need fulfilled. There can be occasional overlap with mild learning disabilities and cognitive impairments in the stalkers within this group. And then finally, the fifth type of stalker is the predatory stalker. These arise in the context of deviant or sadistic sexual practices and a particular specific or curious interest in the victim. The stalker can often find that the stalking activity itself can be gratifying and instrumental at the same time and the stalking may become a way of gaining pleasure itself such as extreme voyeurism. As such, the voyeurism and the observations can also help the stalker 
get additional information about their victim, which they see as valuable and rewarding and useful in enhancing further stalking activity. There are dozens of different actions that stalkers take to unnerve their victims, ranging from personal visits to the workplace through to virtual contact via social media or through a proxy, such as ordering products to be delivered to the victim's home or workplace. And the list of these possible different actions and contacts go like this. They can include blackmail, including so-called revenge porn, computer hacking and hacking of accounts, criminal damage, to the victim's home or workplace or their vehicle, excessive contact with the victim, such as letter writing or emails, text messages, often over short periods of time, very intense um, bursts of communication, 20, 30, 40, 50 text messages a day. False complaints are often made to the victim's employers. False legal claims are made by the stalker, alleging that the victim has done something to, to harm them or something wrong. The stalker can often give the impression to the victim that they're being followed all the time or most of the time. Some stalkers result to physical assaults and they can retrieve personal information or details either physically or online. Stalkers often spread rumours and false information and defame their victims. They will send unsolicited gifts. They may even resort to some sexual assault on some occasions. Some stalkers may sign victims up to services they do not want on the internet. They may abuse them on social networks. Stalkers will often indulge in telephone calls towards their victims, sometimes pleading, sometimes angry, sometimes threatening, sometimes silent. Stalkers will often engage in excessive voyeurism and watching and monitoring of the victim, either in the real world or through electronic surveillance means. And as I've said, sometimes stalkers do turn up several times unannounced at the victim's workplace. Being stalked impacts upon a victim's ability to work in a variety of ways, and as well as their wider social functioning. Initially, stalking behaviours can often severely directly interfere with the victim's ability to leave their home and get to work on time. Extreme methods that stalkers use include frightening victims to stay at home through threatening emails and messages or calls, through to vandalising their victims' vehicles or making the commute unpredictable and scary. Additionally, stalkers can make the workplace appear to be unsafe for a victim by targeting their messages and interactions to the workplace rather than just to a victim's home. By the threat of appearing at the workplace unannounced, stalkers may give the workplace of a victim an additional air of unpredictability and threat. And thirdly, the psychological impacts upon a victim of stalking reduces their overall workability making them more anxious and forgetful, unable to concentrate and possibly disorganised, which may clearly, unfairly impact upon their employability and their career. As stalking behaviours often evolve and change as a result of technological developments, there is limited research on the impact that stalking makes to an individual's ability to function But it's evident that victims suffer from many emotional symptoms, including affective disorders, depression, anxiety, and sometimes PTSD in extreme cases. Victims may also suffer self-loathing, 
blame, shame, guilt, embarrassment and self-harming behaviours. And they may feel low self-esteem and severely isolated from others, often thinking that something they have done has brought on the stalking and that they ultimately may be to blame and that they may be judged harshly by others who, who might find out. Such symptoms that victims suffer from would no doubt be worsened if, they're un- if an unemployment occurred uh, as a consequence of being stalked. And understanding the potential consequences of stalking means that more can be done to assist victims and to potentially minimise any effects inflicted upon them and keep them working. Workplaces should acknowledge factors exist that can make a victim more or less vulnerable, such as interactions or appointments with strangers, or working alone or in isolated operations. And managers and workplaces should implement actions that can help make a victim increase their resilience and allow them to know they will be supported if they report any stalking behaviours. Management should take a discreet approach and try to ascertain details with an open-ended, non-judgmental and non-threatening approach. They should listen to victims and assure them that they'll be believed and taken seriously because it's important, as it's often the fear of this not happening that prevents many victims from reporting the stalking in the first place. Fear of not being believed is a big roadblock to reporting the stalking. All disclosures made by the victims should be noted and recorded, no matter how bizarre or mundane or extraordinary they may initially sound. And the confidentiality of such disclosures should be reiterated to the victim. It's worth considering having a senior management figure within the organisation who's trained in the area and would be a suitable person to support any victims with their expertise. Assessing any risks to the victim should be a sensible and practical aspect of the policy, as should presenting the victim with a personal safety policy. This risk assessment should also be widened to include the other employees who may have a risk of exposure to the stalker as well. So, what adjustments can be made to the working practices of victims who need support? Well, security, lighting and general ergonomic safety of the workplace could be improved. Staff could be provided with personal attack alarms if they wanted them. Flexible time working and varied start and finish times can be used. Management should allow for and support more working at home if required and if possible. Management should encourage the use of virtual online meetings with strangers. And management should support staff who do not want to have video chats or meetings with clients or other people if they do not wish. Organisations could arrange for security to escort staff to vehicles or transport points where appropriate. And making other staff aware of the situation where necessary is good to aid increased vigilance of teams and colleagues. Management should ensure that staff take precautions such as screening phone calls and scrutinising workplace visitors more carefully. Management should ensure that victims know to immediately report any stalking phone calls to management and document them. And if a restraining order prohibits a stalker from the workplace, calling the police immediately should they appear should be made to be a priority. Another common practice that is often overlooked is that management should ensure that staff do not give out any personal information such as days of work or personal phone numbers when individuals call up and inquire about staff. Because the relationship between workplaces and stalking can often be crucial, there are measures that should focus on victims' places of occupation. 
Stalking policy should be in place to minimise the risks to all those who could potentially be involved, to keep the victim working whilst being stalked if they wish, and to support the victim if they need time off from work due to the effects of the symptoms we talked about, or as well as attending legal matters, court appointments or healthcare appointments. Such stalking policies should also make it clear that any employees who engage in stalking behaviours themselves will be investigated and disciplinary action would be taken against any such employee if criminal procedures were initiated against them. Policies should take an a priori position that a victim is not to be blamed for being stalked and that they should be believed and all the information should be passed on to the police when appropriate. Unfortunately, there have been many cases in the UK where stalkers have murdered their victims, sometimes in their workplaces. A tragic case involved Claire Bernal, who, 22 years old, had been on a couple of dates with a security guard who worked at Harvey Nicks in Knightsbridge, where she was a sales assistant. And the chap she'd been on a date with was 30-year-old Michael Pesch, a Lithuanian security guard who worked in Harvey Nicks. However, after a couple of dates, Claire didn't want to go out with him any further. Pesh took this very badly. He began pleading and hounding her and then bombarding her with gifts and asking for another chance. Against her better judgment, she went out with him on one more occasion and still decided that she didn't want a relationship with Pesh. He took this very badly. Um, he purchased uh, a handgun and unfortunately, he tragically turned up at work one morning and shot her several times and killed her on the shop floor of Harvey Nichols. He was clearly a very seriously disturbed predatory stalker, but it's all too common that workplaces are a weak spot for victims. Stalkers know where their victims will be and what days and what times they will be at work and workplaces need to do much more to protect their staff from being victims of stalking and to support those staff if they are victims and help them in any way they possibly can. You've been listening to the You're Crazy Professor But It Might Just Work amazing podcast. I hope it's been useful. I hope it's been helpful.